Good morning, everyone. Uh, as you know, we're a Cummins. You are church. No perfect people allowed, so glad to have you here. Um, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And I'm wondering, uh, probably for most of you, uh, uh, you've, have you ever worked on some type of group project, whether in school growing up or uh, maybe in even your workplace? And um, you don't have to have watched or even condoned the show Game of Thrones to appreciate the descriptions of the roles of group project members up on the big screen of the Stark family. And so you have uh, four members of, of the, the Stark siblings. Over on the far left, Sansa Stark, the person who comes to your group project and disappears at the very beginning of the project and then doesn't show up again until the very end when most of the work is done. Then you have Bran the Broken, Bran Stark. Uh, says he's going to help, but he's not. Third person, uh, Jon Snow, uh, forgets to do his part of the project, his part of the work, because he's distracted by romantic relationships most of the time. And then lastly, of course, you have Arya Stark on the far right, who does 99% of the work to accomplish the purposes of their family. And that is often, like the description says, what every group project might look like to you. Uh, it could leave you feeling a little bit bitter, and it reminds me of this graduate's yearbook quote, who said uh, in her yearbook, when I die, I want the people who I did a group project with, to lower me into the ground so that they can let me down one last time. <laughs> and I want to challenge you because I know this sounds silly, but uh, if you were honest in your heart of hearts, do you know that sometimes you might feel like that about church? And what I mean is there are times that we forget this is a group of normal, flawed human beings still in the process of being transformed by Christ, and we still differ and bicker at times as we try to use our God-given gifts to do our parts in worship, in connecting, in serving, in growing together. And it can cause, to be honest, more distractions from Jesus than devotion towards Jesus. And so the question we're trying to answer this morning is how do you navigate working together on this group project that we call the church? If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it. To 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're visiting us, there are uh, Bibles under your seat. And if you don't own your own Bible, um, that's our gift to you. you take it, that one home. We have, that's, that's the same Bibles that we offer in the library, so you can take those home. Um, uh, otherwise, it'll, it's going to be up on the big screen as well. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In this series, we've been going through all year called Clear, where we're learning in a world of confusion and conflict to be able to see life through the countercultural lens of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That the Apostle Paul is writing to this cool, hip, urban church in the city of Corinth and explaining to them, instead of being blinded by the values of this world, how to see clearly through your identity in Christ as you are loved, as you are forgiven, as you are transformed by his work on a cross, that he's guiding us and growing us in holiness and in unity together that's very distinct from the world around us. And then he goes on to show us throughout this letter how to practically apply that in many areas of life regarding sin, conflicts, sex, relationships. And so we're in this part of the, cha uh, the, the letter now in chapters 11 through 14 where he's addressing these Corinthian believers are experiencing discord and disorder as they gather together for worship as a church, that they're seeking their own interests in their contributions and participation in the church. 
And so today we're going to look at how do the Corinthians, how can they use their God-given spiritual gifts to build up the church together without causing more fractures than fruitfulness in the body of Christ. So we're picking up today 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. If this is your first time ever joining a church, you're going to think, what in the world is happening here? This sounds like a cult. So let's explain what's happening, all right? So in verse 26, uh, the Apostle Paul is summarizing up the last passage that we studied last week. For those of you, that's, this is your Easter egg for today. That when they gather together as a church, there's someone who's maybe leading a song or teaching the Bible, uh, has insight from God, is praying in tongues, which we'll explain in a little bit, with interpretations. And Paul says, let all of that be, all those things be done for building up. That's the connection to last week's passage. In other words, to use our God-given spiritual gifts to build each other up in the body of Christ towards the grace and truth and maturity in Christ. That's the goal when we exercise our gifts together. And what he's going to do in this whole passage this morning is he's going to confront three personal agendas that can cause a group project to fail. When we're driven by being more important than other people, when we're driven by being in control, when we're driven by being right more than other people. So keep those three things in mind. And he's going to first address through the gift of tongues, the first agenda. And if you don't know what that is, speaking in tongues is this Holy Spirit-inspired ability. It's a God-given gift to speak in a language that's not known by the person who's speaking it, because that's actually happened in historical, in, in history. And so for the Corinthians particularly, it manifested as in, a, in a much more supernatural looking way that as they were praying and as they were praising God, they would speak in the language of angels. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and in chapter 14, verse 15. And the problem is when they would practice this gift of, of tongues, they thought of themselves as Look at me, I'm experiencing the superior level of spirituality compared to the common uh, plebeian uh, Christian. And so as they're sitting there elevating their gifts, denigrating the rest, the underlying motive that they're feeling is, I want to feel more important than other people. That instead of giving God glory and giving other people blessing, I'm drawing both those things, glory and blessing, to myself through this distracting, unrestrained use of the gift of tongues during the middle of a worship service. And so Paul says, instead of flexing your own freedoms, instead of uh, flexing your spiritual contribution, consider the repercussions that you're having for everyone else. And so he's going to give them three very practical constraints to shift them from creating confusion towards clarity. So in verse 27 through 28, number one, he limits the amount. Only two or three of you should practice speaking in tongues so that the church service isn't just some people praying in tongues continuously and then the rest of us counting down the minutes until lunch. I know some of you do that. Secondly, not only limit the, the amount, but limit the discord. Instead of people kind of shouting over each other, trying to outspeak in tongues each other, let's take turns so that people can actually hear what you're saying. And then he also asks them to limit the fruitlessness. In other words, if there is no gift of interpretation, someone with a spiritual gift to understand and be able to interpret it for other people, 
then you don't use it. If there's no one who can understand it, and there's no, then there's no benefit to other, ones, other people, so keep it to yourself. So the point that Paul is trying to make is with this spiritual gift of tongues, instead of fixing on, fixating on feeling important myself, I'm to build up others with clarity instead of building up myself with confusion towards other people as we worship together. And I would say that, you know, this is not a very common gift uh, these days, but this can apply to many types of spiritual gifts. Some of you know I've had the privilege of, of uh, guest teaching at times at uh, Western Seminary, and so I've had the privilege of being able to mentor quite a few young pastors and connect with them over the years. And there was a young man uh, that really wanted to have my feedback about certain things, so I visited his church when he was preaching. And uh, this guy, I, let me tell you, if you saw him standing up here compared to me, you'd be like, can we get that guy instead as a, as a regular preacher? Uh, he had all the best gifts that a preacher should have. I mean, he was brilliant in theology. He was magnetic in personality. And his church, they loved their pastor. And yet, when you looked around the room on a given Sunday morning, he said he was lamenting that it was obvious to him that most people were unengaged during his sermon. And so I kind of took him aside and said, do you want my honest assessment? I said, of course. That's why he asked me to come. I told him, you know, you like throwing around these million-dollar words without explanation. Like the ones that have more than six syllables, as if you're paid by the syllable. And the, and the truth is, I think, because I know this young man, your church already knows how smart you are. You don't have to prove it to your church with the length of your sermon or the length of the words that no one understands. You see what, I'm, what I mean? When we're taking our spiritual gifts and making it about needing to prove myself by my performance, needing to gain, garner that attention and applause and acknowledgement kind of filling that gap in your heart rather than using it to build up others. And so you and I, we may not speak in the gift of tongues, but we do speak in human languages. We do speak to human beings. And so when we serve and speak to others at church, the question is, are you bringing them more clarity about understanding Jesus or more confusion about Jesus? Are you distracted because you're building up yourself, your performance, your praise, not noticing that our insensitivity and our insecurities aren't really building up other people. Okay, but what if I'm not, you know, trying to seek attention or validation, you know, I'm genuinely trying to build up others by speaking God's truth. Look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, uh, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So now he's going to address, a, he turns the tables and uh, addresses a different spiritual gift, the gift of prophecy. Excuse me. This is a God-given ability to proclaim revelation from God and application of his word. And so we see in verses 29 to 31 is that like the gift of tongues, Paul says, you need to limit it to two or three people. You can't have more than three people come up. Imagine if, like I said, told you this morning, I'm going to give the sermon, and then Pastor Daniel's going to give this sermon, and then we're going to have Elijah in the back give a sermon, and whoever else wants to give a sermon, everybody come up and give a sermon. Uh, you probably wouldn't want to stay at church. You're like, it's already long enough. 
And so he limits the number of people, just like with the gift of tongues. He also, just like the gift of tongues, says, you guys, you got to take turns. You can't have two people. It's not a rap battle. You're not coming up here to all speak at the same time. So that the purpose is that all may learn and be encouraged. So question, why is Paul requiring them to build in, have some kind of order in their worship service to build up other people? And the answer is because this is how, how you use your gift reflects the one who gave it. What does your gift say, how you're using it, say about Jesus? Because unlike back then, uh, all the other pagan type of worship uh, atmospheres, they oftentimes there would be this out-of-control ecstatic utterances. People just kind of shouting and singing and just doing random things. It was quite chaotic. It was like being at, I don't know, it's like being at a Taylor Swift concert, I guess. And then uh, when they were out of control and just wildly doing things like that throughout their worship services. But here in 32 and 33, it says in Christ, those who come together in worship as followers of Jesus, it's very different. You see, when you have a prophetic spirit, you can exercise self-control. You're not just some like randomly shouting out things and doing whatever you want because we do not have a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So that when his people gather together, it shouldn't be confusing it should be peaceful. So you can see the similarities to why he's given constraints, to so the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. But I want you to notice a very important difference. In addition to the restraints that he gave to the gift of tongues, in verse 29, what does he do? He invites other people to weigh what is said by the person who is prophesying, who's giving a prophetic teaching. In other words, to discern prayerfully and biblically and humbly and collaboratively if what is being said is from God, if this is what God is really saying to us, even if it's a pastor preaching. And this is important because I want you to think about it. Any gift or role where a person has influence or an audience, there's a temptation to be driven by, I'm the one who's in control. In other words, instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, instead of receiving feedback from other people, I speak for God. I get to tell you what to think, what to do, and how to live. It's a control. So for those of us who are like me, control freaks, we love that kind of role. But oftentimes people try to exercise it without the accountability of feedback and other people. So in prophecy and in preaching, instead of being insecure and aggressive about needing control over people and their decisions and their direction, are we willing to humble ourselves, to build up others by discerning together instead of dictating to others what God is saying as we worship and fellowship together? Inviting brothers and sisters in Christ to provide corroboration or correction even to my blind spots when we're proclaiming the Word of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, uh, you may not feel like you have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but I suggest that you may still have the same problem. So a couple questions for you. Do you ever feel threatened or irritated when people differ from your opinion about God and his will and his word? I'm thinking about this because I'm thinking about somebody who's preaching from the pulpit and not willing to receive feedback, but oftentimes we're still preaching, just not in the pulpit, but we're talking about our perspective on a theological issue, and we get kind of frustrated, and uh, as we do, 
get into arguments with people about that's not true. This is even though you're and starting to state our opinions as if they are the facts. This is the, the gospel truth of life. So also think about this way. When you're participating in a church program or a church project, do you feel like you need to aggressively assert your own priorities and preferences and positions and treat it as if that is the gospel truth? When really it's just your opinions and your preferences particularly without welcoming feedback from other people? Or are you open to hearing, understanding, learning, and growing from other people in the body of Christ and allowing them to weigh in, as Paul suggests? Now, I want to tell you, on primary issues of the gospel, we do not compromise. Those are not open for debate. But on secondary issues where there's room to explore and and understand differently, then we come with humility and an open heart to talk about things and recognizing that we have our own blind spots and welcoming other people to help us see that. Okay, but what if we're, you know, as a church gathered together and we're trying to discern uh, God's will and God's word together, but it starts to cause conflict, even within our own family sometimes? Look at the second half of verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. I feel so many eyes. I feel like the eyes are burning into me right now, and it's painful. I was so much looking forward to preaching this part of the passage. So at first glance, uh, what we see here in verse 33 through 4 is, doesn't it look like this command that says like, well, all ladies, all the women should just sit quietly in all the churches, Paul says, all the time. Is that what this passage says? And I want to show you uh, without, because one of the things I'm, like uh, Paul is very keen on and all pastors are very keen on is we never want to twist scriptures to mean what we want it to mean. Right? We want to interpret, we want it to, to, to talk about what does God mean by, by what he's saying. And so to do that, that means that we need to look at this scripture, uh, interpret the Bible in its context, not just pull random meanings from a single verse. And so I'm going to hand you three keys to be able to look, understand this passage this morning. All right? First of all, chapter 11, verses 3 to 6, I'm going to read, I'm actually, uh, I didn't put it up on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Chapters 11, verse 3 to 6, because this is the key to understanding uh, what Paul is talking about here. But I want you, to the Corinthians, to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head uh, covered dishonors his wife, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her husband, uh, since it's the same as if her head were shaven, for if a wife will not cover her head, blah, 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 some other stuff. Okay, Um, so... Uh, what I want you to see here, this passage, there's three pieces of things I want you to get. From chapter 11, we see that the women can pray and prophesy during the church gathering. What are they doing during the church gathering? What does that require? Using their mouths. They're speaking in the church gathering. And so, and they're able to do so, we see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, with a, a symbol of submission on their heads. That's how they did it culturally. Uh, a, a symbol to, of their submission to their husbands and his, and his spiritual leadership 
not because he's bigger or better, but as a way of honoring Jesus and his lordship over us all. Do you understand? So we talked about this. If you don't remember, go back and watch the message on 1 Corinthians 11. But So women are, are able to pray and prophesy and speak in the public gathering of the church as long as they have a symbolic uh, a symbol of submitting to their husband and his spiritual leadership as a way of honoring Jesus and his lordship over us all. And it's not in a demanding or demeaning way, as if women are less valuable and less capable, but in the same way that Jesus himself places himself under the headship of his father. Even though Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he is in very nature God, equal to his father, and yet he chooses to obey his father and submit to him humbly and sacrificially at a cross. And so his father exalts him for it. First piece, so women can speak in the public gathering of the church. Number two, so right here in verse 34, it says the women. And uh, literally, that's the same word that we translate as the wives in chapter 11 that I just read to you in chapter 11, verse 3. And the reason why it's translated wives is because of the context in, the, in chapter 11. These wives who were speaking and submitting to their husbands. And I'm going to suggest to you that this, this is literally the word gune in, in Greek. It's the exact same word, wives, women. And I'm going to suggest to you that it also means wives here. Because look at the instruction in verse 34, to be in submission to a husband according to the law of God or, the, or God's word. And so I suggest that this is also supposed to be translated as wives because men only have spiritual headship over their wives, not other women. We talked about this. Final piece for you to be able to understand this. So here we go. Women speaking, praying, and prophesying in the church congregation that this is probably more referring to wives and their relationship to their husband and being, and being in submission to their spiritual leadership, uh, honoring and respecting their spiritual leadership. Third piece of context, what is Paul talking about here? Remember what we just talked about. He is continuing his thought from verses 29 to 32 about discerning prophetic teaching, that we're supposed to weigh in on the prophetic teaching. And here is the problem that was happening in the Corinthian church. There were some wives of some of the Corinthian men who came to church with an agenda. I need to prove that I'm right more than other people. And so they would act out by standing up and publicly clamoring and criticizing and canceling the person who was speaking. So I want you to imagine my wife, Melissa. Like if she decided, you know, in the middle of the sermon right now, she just stood up in the middle of the back and just started mid-sermon heckling me and saying, you know what? Your interpretation is weak. Your examples are weak. Your arm strength is weak. You need to sit down. Boo that man. That would be pretty weird, right? But I want you to understand the chaos that that was causing. It wasn't that all the women were acting this way. There were some women that were acting this way, and this is what Paul is addressing. So in verse 35, Paul says, if a wife disputes the prophecy, then discuss it at home instead of dishonoring your husband by interrupting and contradicting and undermining and overriding his spiritual authority at church. And so the principle here is that in the prophetic teaching and instruction, that we are to build up the body of Christ by discussing that teaching privately instead of disrupting worship publicly. Does that make sense? See, when Paul is saying these things, it's not about silencing women. 
I know it's very easy to read it that way if you just read that verse, but I just demonstrated to you, I think hopefully, how to really interpret this passage in the context of Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians, in the context of chapter 11, in the context of women publicly speaking and praying and, and prophesying in the church. And so, you need to understand the cultural context as well. Back then in the Roman Empire, during the time of Paul, women were not treated equally. They, were not, they didn't have equal rights. They were not equally educated. They were not equally treated before the law, unable to own property. And what's miraculous here is that in the church, men and women were welcome to use their gifts to speak, to lead in prayer and in prophecy, including wives as they demonstrated honor and submission and recognition of their husbands as their spiritual leader. And so the constraint here is for this group of flame-throwing Corinthian women, and for all of us today, both men and women, because he's giving us these constraints for the same reason that there were restraints about speaking in tongues and speaking in prophecy. Because all three of these examples were causing chaos by the way people were participating in the worship service together. And so for these particular group of women, through their public criticism and disruption and division that they were causing in the church. And so how this may apply to you, you may not be a, uh, a woman who stands up and starts shouting at, at, at the pastor when he's preaching, but would people around you describe you as kind of an angry person, someone with a contentious spirit? In other words, do you feel a need to constantly correct and criticize to get the last word in. Regardless of who you are humiliating, how you are hurting them, who is present, because it's, being right is more important to you than being kind and considerate to others in the body of Christ. Yes, but Pastor Joss, I'm just being honest and telling it like it is. No, you are just being foolish and telling it like you shouldn't because you're not looking at this trail that you're leaving behind you of bleeding people and broken relationships in your wake. Paul closes with some strong words in verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commands, are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So what's happening here? The common thread between all these Corinthian issues, these outbursts of tongues, outbursts of prophecy, outbursts of fiery feedback from some ladies, is that people are using their God-given gifts to speak to one another in worship in ways that cause chaos. And as you're speaking, the issue at stake is what are you saying about Jesus? And so in verse 36, Paul challenges the Corinthians, you may be extraordinarily gifted by God for service and for ministry, but Paul's a little bit sarcastic here, but did you write the Bible? 
Oh, or perhaps were you the sole recipients of the Bible and God's Word? And the answer is obviously no and no, Paul. In other words, he's saying to them, I think your church has problems because you think you're so special, so spiritual, so superior to other people. And so he's peeling back the underlying issue, which is the pride in their hearts. Pride says that this unrestrained gift of tongues makes me more important. Pride says the unchecked gift of prophecy gives me control. Pride says the unleashed criticism makes me right. So I'm practicing my gifts whenever I want, however I want, regardless of the wreckage that it's leaving behind me. That's what pride does. And so in verse 37 through 38, Paul says, if you're really gifted with prophecy or maturity, then you're going to recognize that what I'm saying, this is a command from God to you. This is God speaking to you, constraining what you say in the gift of tongues or prophecy or in your feedback to other people. And if you won't recognize Jesus' words as genuine, this command is really from God, then we can't recognize your words, what you're speaking in tongues, prophecy, feedback. And in fact, we can't recognize you as genuinely belonging to Jesus because his sheep know his voice and would recognize this command from the Lord. And so verse 39, he concludes, I want you to pursue and practice prophecy. It's a good gift for the building up of the church. Secondly, I don't want you to forbid the gift of tongues as long as there's someone to interpret for the building up of the church. But the point here is not which gift is better, but are you using it, verse 26, to build up others in the church? Okay, how do we do that? Pastor Paul, verse 40, express all these gifts in worship appropriately, orderly, Paul says. In other words, when you serve and speak to one another, do so in ways that bring peace. That's appropriate and decent and orderly. Speaking peace instead of chaos and confusion. And so the overarching theme of this entire passage this morning is that we are to build up the body of Christ by reflecting the God of peace and speaking the peace of God to one another through our spiritual gifts as we worship together. <coughs> One of my uh, spiritual gifts is the gift of teaching. Not today, it's not, Pastor Josh. How dare you, first of all. And number two, didn't you just hear what Pastor Paul said about the scorchers outburst in the worship gathering? You need to calm down. Uh, but when I was young in ministry, uh, there was one uh, Sunday speaker who came to our church who I felt in my arrogance was terrible. And you know what? Uh, in my mind, I thought, you know, I, have, I had no seminary training at that. I could do better than that. It was a thought. Now, unfortunately, uh, it's, as I was analyzing this, I was thinking to myself, he's unclear in his theology, he's boring in his delivery, and I, I came, came out of the service fuming. You ever do that? Come out of a, a church service and be like, man, that was a waste of my time. Don't touch it, okay? <laughs> do it when I'm not looking. <laughs> but afterwards, uh, I was in charge at the time of teaching high school, our high school Sunday school class, our CE class. And I did something incredibly sinful. I, I just went on a rant in front of these kids, high school kids. I unleashed all my pent-up complaints and criticisms about uh, the, the, the sermon that morning. And so question for you, was I speaking the peace of God or speaking out of pride? 
Was it really to benefit the people I was talking to? Was I using my gifts of teaching to point people towards Jesus or abusing my gift to point people towards myself? Fortunately, uh, I had a co-teacher for the class, uh, one of our fellow youth counselors uh, at the time, who who had a cooler and wiser head, and she took me aside um, privately, kind of practicing what Paul said, like when you're doing discerning of people speaking. Uh, She took me aside privately after class and said, you can't do that. You really cannot talk about um, a preacher that way. It's not right, first of all, to put a preacher on blast, to do it behind their back when they can't hear or respond to your complaint, and to set that kind of example for young people. You ever have moments where the Holy Spirit just cuts your heart, <laughs> like reveals you, you stand revealed in your sinfulness, and, and there's like, there's, you don't have any excuses you can grab onto. Well, I was having a bad morning. I, well, I was tired. Maybe I didn't really, I didn't mean what I said. No excuses, right? It's humbling. You're right. I was convicted, and I had to repent in front of this whole class of high school students who were kind of like, why is the teacher talking to us like this? But having to confess to them my sinfulness, I was wrong. You know what I did was sin, slandering um, a servant of God who was using his gifts to better us and to help us to know Jesus more. And the, that wasn't even the hard part. The worst was the conviction from God. I had to call and confess and repent to this pastor who I spoke negatively about. And, you know, he's so kind and gracious about it, you know, kind of laughed it off. I accept your apology, but he never came back. The mistakes we make when we're young. And my problem was that I was treating him as if he was a worker bee on a group project who wasn't pulling his weight instead of my brother in Christ who's part of a family. So whatever gift you have from God, when you serve and speak to others in the gathering of people together, whether it's in the worship service or in your small group or when you're just hanging out together for lunch, don't let your pride convince you that you need to be more important, that you need to be in control, that you need to be right more than other people, and that you need to be instead to be a brother or sister in Christ who builds others up towards Jesus and pay attention. Am I causing chaos and controversy and confusion? Or am I reflecting the God of peace who speaks the peace of God to us so that we can hear Jesus and move towards Jesus more? I want to challenge you this morning. You need to be clear about speaking the peace of God through your spiritual gifts as we worship and fellowship together. And like I mentioned, a lot of our problem is we can treat church like it's a group project. But really, it's more like a family, and that's much different. In a group project, you can dismiss and dominate other people when they're not pulling their weight. But in the family of Christ, we pull for each other. We root for each other. We consider each other. We build each other up. In a group project, it's compartmentalized, where you use your gifts, and you just do your part, and I'll do mine. But in the body of Christ, instead of divvying up our parts and going our separate ways and blaming others when they don't get their job done, In the family of Christ, we're on the same team. We support each other, and we're doing it together because your growth and success are mine, as well as your hardships and challenges. May you speak the peace of God with clarity instead of confusion to other people around you. May you discern his will and his word together instead of dictating it to others. 
and may you discuss your differences of understanding his word personally instead of disruptively and condemningly. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that all of your word is good for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking. And God, I, I stand before you very convicted by your word. This is a hard passage to understand, hard passage to preach. But as we start to see the common threads, as you start to unveil it for us, as your Holy Spirit not only gives us more information as we see the threads of three different ways that we speak to one another with our gifts in church and three ways that we're destructive through it, we ask that you would not only speak to us through information, but we long for transformation. God, we cannot change ourselves and our tendencies and our patterns and our blind spots on our own. We need you to do it. Your Holy Spirit working to convict us, change us, and empower us, and give us the courage to take that next step. We need your Holy Spirit to use the body of Christ and all the gifts available to root for us, to support us, to challenge us, to spur us on more towards Jesus. And so this morning, would you help us to consider how we use the gifts that you have given us, particularly as we speak them with our tongues. Would you give us clarity about building others up, about bringing the presence of you, our God of peace, because you are not a God of confusion. Help us to see those areas where we are not speaking the peace of God to others with clarity, with kindness, with collaboration, May we live out being the body of Christ better today than we did yesterday. We ask that you would continue speaking to us and changing us in the name of Jesus.